Hello. Hello. We are clearly new at this. We are. <laughs> but welcome to We Like Stuff and So Should You. A show that I thought was done for the year last week. And I was wrong, because Adam Bishop told me the wrong thing, and I believed him like a fool. Never going to do that again. Absolutely not. I don't care what he tells me. If you're listening to this, Adam, we're never watching Waterworld. Uh, well, uh, maybe uh, we still got I guess we'll still give Highlander a try. No. We, 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 have, we have to give him one. No, we can't. We... We cannot. Okay. It's too late. But yeah, this is, this will actually be the last episode mm-hmm. for the year. Not forever. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm Brenny. And I'm Melissa. And I, I immediately forgot what I just said. This is a show where we talk about things we like, the things and stuff that we like, stuff and such, and such and stuff. I see one thing you're talking about. <laughs> um, and before no. we get to that, how about a little like? A little like. Very well. My little like this week is what is it that's a great question brennan thanks for asking my little like this week is you're welcome (laughs) um i actually have a a lot of little like so i can't like because they're all jumbled hey melissa what is your little like for this week oh brennan thank you so much for asking um let me tell you about that little like thank you again for asking you're welcome. Um, my little, <laughs> um, my little like for this week is cucumbers. Yeah, cucumbers are real good. I've been eating a lot of cucumber lately, mostly because I am not drinking enough water. Yes, <laughs> especially at work, I find it hard. And if I have a little container of cucumbers, I eat them all. And even if I don't want to, I eat them anyway because they're refreshing. Oh, I see. And it's like sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like eating another cucumber, but it's there, so I eat it. So it doesn't this go sound, This sounds like a pain. This sounds no, like, no, it's good. Like it's a trials good. and tribulations of being no, a supply teacher. Because then, after that, you eat it. And then you're like, ah, oh, I feel better for the rest of the day. I should probably drink more water also, but I don't. This is a close second. Uh-huh. Cucumbers save my life. Thank you, cucumbers. It's fair. Hydration station. Passenger what? Hmm? I thought you were going to sing that weird song. Oh, Conjunction Junction? No. Oh. What weird what? song? What? Oh, weird song. The the cucumber song. Oh, I don't know that song. It's like, it's like a really old video of what I can only hope to be is like a... A heavily accented Jamaican man uh. singing about cucumbers. Ah, I see. Yeah, it's a whole thing. That sounds fun. Yeah. 
I'm very thankful and uh, very much in like with leftovers. Because boy, howdy. Are we bad at cooking? We're not bad Is at cooking. Is that what you're going to say? We're not bad. We don't, we're not bad cooks. No. We just don't cook. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's the difference. We're bad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have any other little likes? Not necessarily. I'd say my other little like is cowboy boots. I don't know if I've said that before. I don't think so. But I love cowboy boots. Mm. There's something about them. You don those and you feel powerful. It's magnificent. Would you say they're made for walking? Cowboy boots. I don't know. I I feel like I was trying to go somewhere and it just wasn't working out. Mm. I'm very tired. Yeah, it was an okay thing you said. Sure. It wasn't very. Don't funny. humor me. <laughs> I'm not. You don't have to. <laughs> I'm literally not. I'm doing the opposite of that. The opposite. It's your turn to go. We could just call the show. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it should be. Ooh, we're off to a great start. Yeah. So, yeah. My first thing that I would like to talk about is a game-related thing. Um, it is a game series. Called, oh, my God. This came out in 2012? This game is great. Uh, it's a game called Dishonored. Oh. Yeah. A classic. It's Classic w- Among Friends. Yeah, and and enemies, I guess. Okay. I don't know. It just seemed like it fit. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, Dishonored is a game that came out in uh, 2012. It's it's like a first-person stealth slash action adventure. Um, But it's generally one or the other, or both, if you've made a mistake. Um... You, uh, it's, uh, it's developed by Arcane Studios, and I'm very excited because they're making a new game, um, hopefully next year. Um, it's, uh, it has something to do with, basically, I'll get into the new game later. I'll, let me, let me explain Dishonored first. Is that the time game? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that game looks really cool. Yeah, it does. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was trying to figure out what game it was. No, no, that's fine. Um, so yeah, you play... Um, Corvo Atano, and you are basically the queen's right hand man. Um, in uh, in this, you're ba- you're in like a London esque uh, city. It's it's starting to become more heavily steampunk, uh, but there's like magic in the world, um, and it's not it's not very like. Nobody really has magic, but everybody kind of admits that it's, it exists, and it's a very like dark and uh, kind of grungy uh, setting. Um, basically, being the right hand man of um, uh, the queen, I believe her name was Emily, the, or, or no, the Empress. Um, you were basically there when the Empress died. Um, and being her right hand man and and being right there when when she was killed, you were blamed for it, so you were kind of like outcast um and you did your best in protecting the empress's daughter uh but the whole game is you kind of like uh, doing your best to stay out of sight 
um, and and recover, basically get to her, get to the daughter, and make sure that she's safe. Um, in doing this, though, <clears throat> um, oh my god, I'm learning so many. Th- I have never never looked up this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you play Corvo Otano. You're the former. Uh, What's bu- the oh my god back? Oh, Chloe uh, Chloe Grace Mortez is the empress's daughter is emily caldwin oh it's a whole thing yeah i just thought it was a good actress um yeah so you're you're basically this infamous assassin who's who's been framed for the murder of the empress um and you're you're very good at being stealthy and you're very good at uh, combat um but you you imagine being like an assassin everyone's like come on man like obviously this was an assassin's work and you're like wasn't me that's pretty much what happened. No, I know, but it's just it's just funny. But um yeah, so you're very well trained and then you you're basically um approached by this uh, this being called the uh, the outsider. Um and in knowing kind of the truth of what happened, the outsider um decides to just give Corvo these powers and it's up to you whether or not you want to continue to use this like mystical arcane power but um you're given the ability to like teleport in a very minor way um and yeah see the 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 outsider itself um it's it's the it's like a personification of a of a man uh but they they kind of like live in between life and death he just they describe themselves as like a a mixture of like the god sorry a god and uh like a demon or devil um uh and they're very mysterious you don't really know what's going on but um they approach corvo and they they imbue him with this power and you're able to increase this power if you wish and and have all sorts of different abilities you can summon swarms of rats to devour people and leave no trace you can um oh, what are other things you could do you can kind of i think i think one of the things you can like turn into like a shadow on the ground and kind of um traverse the like the world in secret that way you can have very violent attacks and things like that it's a whole thing mm. um but the game is built in a very cool way it, it's one of my favorite types of games um in that the whole like each level is built like an in an intensely massive puzzle um because you're you're there's a clear cut way as to how you can interpret how to progress uh but there's probably like three to five different ways to actually progress you can be given like an electrified fence and you have to find your way around it there will almost like definitely be like a like a secret passage or maybe like a something you have to uncover to you can slip through a wall or through a building um you can simply find the door and and like sorry the like the 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 key or or the switch to turn off the electrified fence you can convince somebody or you can um you can trick somebody into thinking something is wrong and they'll turn off the fence themselves. You can you can do all sorts of stuff. If you really want, you could just kill everybody so you don't need to worry about sneaking around. Um, but the game, instead of having like a good or bad, the, the dichotomy in the game that they kind of create is um, whether you're violent or not. Um, mm. And as you progress through the game, if you if you start killing all these people, the world will reflect that. It will be darker. It will be... 
like much more grungy. There will be so many more rats. And in, in, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so in, in killing too many people, as you get near the end of the game, there will be rats everywhere, which will be a detriment to you, um, but it also affect the way character like um, enemies and 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 characters will react to the world. Um, and it, it, throughout the world, you find basically shards of whalebone, and whalebone, I guess, are I get, well, whale oil is the primary source of fuel in this world, mm. um, and it's 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 not like a what is the word? I wouldn't say that they use it as a as a reference to real life or like how I don't know we're reliant on whatever fossil fuels. It's not nothing like that. It's just they use whale oil, so that's a huge part of like the world building. Um, but a lot of cultists in the game use whale bone to inscribe, like, um, not artifacts. What would you call it? Like, um, runes. Yeah, you'd basically uh, uh, inscri- inscribe runes to these whale bones. Um, so you use those to kind of increase your own power if you collect enough whale bones per level. Um, hmm, that's and yeah, cool. so that, that's the first game. You You get to Emily and you... There's different ways the first game will end. Canonically, you do save Emily, but in in doing so, you can be violent about it. You can you can be more of a pacifist. I really love having the kind of set, um, not hindrance, but that um, that's like kind of the best word I can use, um, where I I chose not to be seen and not to kill. Um, which I could still do a lot. I would just have to make sure that I would give myself enough time and enough leeway between interactions with people that I could choke somebody out, throw their body somewhere where it won't be seen, uh, make sure their body won't die while I've left it aside. Yeah, because... that's always the coolest when you play a stealthy character. I find it like the most rewarding when you get through an encounter and it's like, like obviously when you just go out and you just are attacking everyone, it's hard for like a minute. But then it's like you eliminate every obstacle. Yeah. If you try and keep everyone alive and sneak by them, now that is a challenge. Yeah, and it it feels so good. Like, the only unrealistic thing about it is that each level in the game actually takes about, like, an hour to two hours. Because there's different – there's multiple buildings to go through. There's multiple clues to figure out. You don't have to figure out everything to to do the main quest. Um, And you don't have to go everywhere to do – to find the direct path. Uh, but when I generally play these games and these levels, I will knock everybody out and then kind of re-scour each area. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the only unrealistic thing is that if I knock somebody out in the beginning of the game, they will be asleep two hours later as I'm like still like looking around. It's relative. That makes sense. Yeah, like yes and no. Like I've never been upset by it, but like in thinking about it, when you knock somebody out, they're they're like asleep and they yeah. they make a, a clear like. <sighs> just to prove to you that like hey you didn't kill them mm-hmm. they're alive mm-hmm. um but yeah and then you just like toss their body in like some tall grass and nobody else will see them and that's a whole thing um but yeah that's generally the first game you you're, you're corvo canonically you do save emily but how you affect the world can be very violent or or very safe and you could be you could become like such a good influence on emily or when Emily grows up, maybe she becomes much more violent to reflect the ways of how you attempted to save her. Mm. Um, you can play the DLC for the game. So for the first game, they they released DLC where you played as, um, I believe his name was Duad. 
It's 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 literally D U A U D E or something like that. Um, you play as the assassin who was actually tasked with killing the empress. Mm. Um, and in the main game, you you have to reconcile that as Corvo, you approach the assassin and you have to deal with that. And depending on how much information you decided to try and find, you can feel good about killing him or you can kind of figure out his motivations as well and and figure out more about the plot that way in playing his DLC you are given a different set of um, of of powers and skills and you kind of find out how it kind of all led up to that and what mm-hmm. he did afterwards and it's actually really cool the end of his DLC is the culmination of you kind of interacting with Corvo mm-hmm. so you can you can do whatever you want in the actual game, but you get the canonical ending as to what was supposed to happen. Uh, and it's actually, again, it's reflected as Duad, or I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it's reflected. If you, if as in the DLC, if you kill everybody um, and mm-hmm. you uh, approach Corvo, you are going to, that interaction is going to be a reflection of how you treated the world. He is going to just destroy you and just leave you for dead. And if you save everybody and you, you keep your like slice of life clean, um, your interaction with Corvo is is nonviolent and he kind of like throws you away um, in, in the regard of like, hey, don't just like get out of here, please. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's really cool. And then they made the second game where... In the beginning, you you have to decide whether you're playing as Corvo or Emily, um, and you play like the the fact that the second game playing as Corvo or Corvo or playing as Emily can change everything about how the game works, and you actually have different abilities as Corvo and as Emily. You can you can outright refuse any powers, um, so you can do the game. There's an achievement in the first game where it's called, uh, what was it? I think it was called like Blood and Steel. And then in mm-hmm. brackets, it, it said mostly because you always had Blink. Um, in the second game, the uh, Blink was a teleport. In the second game, you're given uh, the option to outright just be like, no, I know about the outsider. I know what you've done. I know what you did with my father. I refuse as Emily. Because Corvo, you will always have Blink no matter what. Mm-hmm. Emily, you can just be like, no, I don't want this. Um, and the outsider will be like, "Hey, if that's what you choose, I can't. I'm not going to force it on you. You're right. I made Corvo. I, I I didn't give him a choice, but you have the choice. So you can play the entire game without any powers. And boy, howdy, is it difficult. And it's just such a cool experience to just go through this whole game and not know what and suffer. Well, it's not even suffering. It's like this is how the game was meant to be played, almost." Like, like as a as a uh, like a proper assassin, you have to you have to rely on nothing. You have to rely on like making distractions and and either killing or knocking people out. And like you don't have the opportunity to hold on to a body and teleport somewhere somewhere else easily. You have to physically carry them. Um, and it was like I played that game. I played the second one like three like three or four different times. I played it with powers to the full extent. I played without powers. I played Corval and Emily. It was such a good time. Um, and they they introduced more occult nonsense, and they introduced more magical powers, and it was a very fun, very good time for me. And they they really explored that. Um, I can't remember what her name was. It was um, Copperspoon Delilah. Delilah Copperspoon was the bad uh, bad guy, and she comes in and she's like, "I'm supposed to be the queen," and that's the mm-hmm. first thing. And then when she comes in, she attacks. 
and the the game opens up that you have to decide if you want to be Corval or if you want to be Emily. And when you decide, they they are pushed out of the way while the other one um, turns into stone because that's a part of Delilah's repertoire of magical powers. Oh. And then you run away. And you're like, I need to save... Emily regards Corval as her father. I don't think, like, they're blood-related, but, like, it's just like, I have to save mm-hmm. my father, I have to save my daughter. It's kind of like, like a witcher situation. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's just good, and, like, I'll touch on it. You put, you could, the, that game has DLC, too. Uh, in the first game, Duad had uh, his right-hand person. Uh, her name was Billy. It was actually, I can't remember the actress's name. I'll figure it out when you're talking, so I won't interrupt and I won't take up too much time. Uh, mm-hmm. But that DLC, you play as her, and the outsider literally comes up to her and is like, hey, I don't like this anymore. Do something about it. And he basically tasks you in, in ending his connection with the world. Oh. And there are actually three ways to do that. And that's what I used in um, the, the Gristle campaign for our D&D. Right, yeah. Because for our D&D campaign, I just ripped off Dishonored. Uh, and I was like, hey, there, there is a way to save the outsider. But the easiest way is to just kill them and just end their connection. And yeah, it was just a good time. Our D&D was great. The game is great. Mm-hmm. The game is great enough that I wanted to steal all the ideas, all the major ideas. It was, it's a good time. Everybody should play Dishonored. It's on. It's on new. It's on PS4 and Xbox One. They remastered it relatively. Comes with all the DLC. Mm-hmm. It's always on sale. It's it's published by Bethesda, um, but it's made by Arcane Studios. They're they're coming out with a new game. Basically, there's this island that's that's a jail, and the same day repeats, but you remember what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's the jail. And in the trailer, you're basically given the two characters that I imagine you'll be able to choose from. One clearly wants to leave and destroy the the device that keeps this um, island going so they can like physically leave. And the other one is like, no, I'm a killer. I'm good at this. And this is the best way to become better. And it's just like, and it's literally just these two like trained killers going after each other with, they're basically have such similar skill sets and they're just like, I want different things and I have to go through you mm-hmm. to get it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a good time. That's very And I'm cool. very excited. But uh, yeah, Dishonored. Dishonored, Dishonored. Dishonored is a good game. Dishonored is dishonorable. I'm just kidding. It's yeah. fun. I played it a little bit, but I couldn't really get into it at the time. But Yeah, you had a lot of other games going on. Too many. It was kind of like a little side thing. I was like, oh, I'll just try this out. It was too big, too much for that. I well, yeah, because the first level. just try it out. The, yeah, and that, that's my favorite part of it, too. Like, you, the first level, you're like, oh, what do I do? And an hour later, you're like, Is it, if, did I do everything I needed to? Did I find it all? Yeah. It's a... And then you just have to accept it. Once you, once you pass a level, you can't go back unless you restart the game. So it's like, oh, I hope I did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, eh? Yeah. Uh, what? Hold on. What is her name? What is her name? What is her name? I'm so close. I'm so close. Uh, oh, so the character's name is Billy Lurk that you play in Dishonored 2, the DLC. Uh, Billy Lurk? Yeah. 
Could you? That's not what you said. I thought her. I thought I said her name was Billy. Oh, right. Yeah. You did say that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I can't find her. Why can't I find? Anyways, I'll figure out what the the actress uh, who played her is. But yeah, that's my thing. What's just, your thing? Just look it up on the internet. I'm trying. Um, well, my first thing is an author, which Brennan already knows because I brought a book with me. Um, it is Haruki Murakami, um, who is a Japanese author. Um, he is a really well-regarded Japanese author. Um, his books are well-regarded internationally. Um, they've been bestsellers in Japan as well as around the world, translated into 50 languages, and, of course, selling millions of copies. Um, Haruki Murakami um, writes a lot of fiction, um, which kind of follows surrealist um, plots. Um, it's really cool. The different genres that this puts it under are fiction, surrealism, magic realism, science fiction, picturesque, etc. All those things I would definitely agree with. Um, it is very um, kind of stream of consciousness, um, surrealism, weird things always happen, but they always like come together in the end somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first time I read a um, Haruki Murakami book um was quite a long time ago um and i just was taken with the way it was written with the um with the storytelling with the way that it flowed i don't know everything about it it's just it's a very unique experience reading mm -hmm. one of his books and part of that is because the fact that he writes it in japanese first and the sentence structure of that when it's translated into English, makes it very unique. Um, oh, yeah, what was the first? What was the book you got me to read? Wind Up Bird Chronicle. Yeah, that one. That, that was nuts. Yeah, it was just. Really... It, it was because it's, it's exactly that. It was so unique in in how even like the chapters came together and like mm -hmm. what the person was talking about and yeah, it was just. Yeah. And his books cover, like, a lot of really serious issues and topics, and they're mostly just about, like, one person's life as they try and navigate stuff and weird things happening to them. Um, he's written a lot of fiction, um, as well as short stories, and also some nonfiction as well, hmm. which is really cool. Um, you have to tell the story about how he got into writing. That's my point. I was my... just about to. That's very exciting. That's why I sure. brought this book, because this is where I first learned about it. Oh. This is his first book ever. It's actually two books kind of in one. Um, one is called Hear the Wind Sing, which is the first book slash novella he ever wrote. And then Pinball 1973 is Oh, did you just flip one. it over? Like, it's... Yeah, it's two books in one. Oh, dang. The copy that I have is just um, two books, one on either side of the book. So you can read both of them. They go the opposite way and meet it somewhere in the middle. Um, so you just flip and eventually the text goes sideways. Um, but yeah, so basically when Haruki Murakami was growing up, he bought a jazz club when he was very young in his like what? 20s. Yeah. I didn't he know just, about this part. He worked at a jazz club that he owned. Um, and he was extremely busy and didn't really have a lot of stuff going on because 
he was obviously really busy running his business. Um, but one day he um, went to a baseball game and at that baseball game um, there was a um, one of the players got a clean double which I don't really know what that means. Oh, I was just about to ask and I'm I'm glad we at least both don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know anything about baseball. He got that clean. It was very clean. <laughs> it was a clean 20. D- clean double. I hate. I don't, I don't hate it. I just, I don't, <laughs> I'd rather just say natural 20. We don't, okay. We always say natural 20. That's not. Yeah. I'm not going to start saying clean and dirty. <laughs> I don't care that it, like it does sound a little, a little all right. I'm not going to say, oh, is a, is a dirty 20. Uh-huh. Not going to do it. I'm not doing it, Adam okay. or Tristan. A double results or solo. In, Sorry. Okay. A double results in the batter reaching second base unassisted after hitting a ball that hits the ground before being fielded. Oh, so like they they just get to second base without anyone touching the ball, I guess. Cool. I don't know. Anyway, so someone got a double and then <laughs> Um, Haruki Murakami was at the stadium at this point and there's a satisfying crack and this is like a little prologue to this novel that Haruki Murakami wrote so he's describing his own experience but there's a satisfying crack when the bat met the ball um, and this resounded throughout the stadium scattered applause rose around him in that instant for no reason and based on no grounds whatsoever it suddenly struck me I think I can write a novel in Haruki Murakami's own words he just had this moment where he's like, I think I could write a book. And so he was 29 at this point, And he just spent every night after work adding pages to this novel for like months, like 10 months or something. Um, and eventually after um, oh six or so months, he wrote Hear the Wind Sing, which was his first novel ever. Um, the really cool thing about it was that he decided, just randomly, to submit it for a literary prize, um, which was through the literary journal, journal Gunzo. Um, and basically, he submitted it for this prize. Um, he found out, like, um, quite a while later, like, after he had already sort of forgot about it, he, like... <laughs> He had this like really he had this inclination that he could be a writer and then he did the thing he wrote the thing and then he submitted it but then he was like busy with other stuff and he just forgot about it. It was like a year later or something that they finally told him that he actually was shortlisted for the prize. Um Wait, what does that mean specifically? It just means like he was one of five people being considered for the first prize. Oh, okay. So yeah, so he was short um listed. And um, so just just to just to sum up what you've already said, I just mm-hmm. want to be clear. Mm-hmm. This guy was at a baseball game mm-hmm. and he heard the crack of a bat and was like, I think I could write a book. Yep. And then he did. And it was like, I did it. Mm-hmm. That's all I need to do. And then a year later, they were like, hey, dog, you know how you're, <laughs> you, you wrote some really good stuff, dude. And he was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what? Pretty much. What are you talking about? I don't do that. I did it. I don't do I it. Did it? I did it once. <laughs> um, 
not that I'm going to do it again. And this was in 1978 that this happened. Um, is this guy alive still? Yeah, he's 70. Damn, is he still writing? Yeah. He Good came out him. with a book like not that long ago. Frig! Um, so, bum, bum, bum. I'm just trying to figure out what the Oops. prize. Oh, yeah. Um, so he found out that he eventually won it. So he got shortlisted oh, he, he, and then he, he won oh, of course the he won. prize, um, which is the Gunzao Literature Prize for budding writers in 1979 was when he wrote. The most wild thing about this whole story, like the most absolutely most wild thing, is that, of course, in 1979 or 78 or whenever he was writing this, he was writing it on a typewriter. <laughs> um, only one copy existed. He submitted his only copy. Oh, he like so he wrote this book and was like, I did like literally, I did it. I yeah. don't need this anymore. Yeah, he submitted it, and <laughs> this this okay, but the award place who is giving out this award, so this newspaper that the award was going yeah. through for new writers, they don't return submissions. Oh, so if he didn't win, he literally would have never seen that book again. He probably never would have wrote another book. Well, that, which he would have also been okay with. He would have been like, I did oh, it. No, he would have been okay. But it's just wild that now he's like an internationally renowned, best-selling you, author. you said like, what, 50 languages? Upwards? Yeah. Yeah. That what it's translated nonsense, into. And millions of copies he sells. He's like a really well-known, like one of Japan's best-selling authors. Um, this guy's and, nuts. This, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. What, like what? Like I can't imagine being this man and just being like, like, just be, in the sense of like being awarded this award and like having this book actually like published. He, I'm <laughs> sure he would have been like, I guess I could do this for a bit. Yeah. Anyway, I was reading this like prologue to the story one day, and I was like, what the? F- what is <laughs> happening? I was. I was blown away. I honestly could not believe that that's how he got into writing, and then. And just, like, I just couldn't believe it. Um, another wild thing about him is that he's also a very serious marathon runner. And <laughs> but he didn't start till he was 33. So he started writing novels at 29, started running marathons at 33. On June 23rd, 1996, he completed his first ultra marathon. What is the, what is the adjective ultra mean in terms of this? Guess how many kilometers? I don't know, like a hundred? That's exactly uh, a hundred kilometer race. How um, long did it take him? I don't know. Was he first place? But he actually did write a memoir called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. Uh-huh. And that's about him and running marathons and stuff it's like a collection of personal essays slash memoir um but yeah he is just a really cool guy with cool interests and i just love the story about how he got into writing and his perspective and writing is so unique that if you've never read one of his novels or books he also does he has collections of short stories as well, which are also really good and a good like entry point. His writing really isn't for everyone, but very much so. Yeah, um, and some of it has like severe and uh, themes as a, a graphic warning. and or sexual. So I would look up the books first before you pick it up, um, because yeah. there are reviews of them and like they might help you decide which one is best for you. Because some of them aren't as bad as others and some of them are just like kind of fun stories so i would highly recommend it um the interesting and wild places that you go in these books are just 
incredible and fun and whimsical and sometimes sad and sometimes scary, but really, really cool. Um, and they're also like so wild and like surreal, but also so real at the same time, which is why I really like them. Yeah, no, I'd, I'll I'll at least back up that uh, that preface of figuring out if the book's right for you. You let you let me that book to borrow, and this was before we were dating, and it was before I knew you more than like I would I would imagine it's before I knew you more than superficially. So mm-hmm. when like sex things started to happen, mm-hmm. and it was like it wasn't like graphic, but it was like. Oh, okay. It's like, it, it wasn't like, oh, Melissa is not a person that doesn't read this. It was just like, you gave this to me. You knew what was in this book. What is... Okay. <laughs> All right. What, what am I supposed to do with this information? Anyways, it wasn't a bad thing. It was just like, yeah. it, it was literally, hey. we've never talked about this up until this point. Yeah. So like, it's not, it's not, it's, it's never, it's never come up, but it was just like, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is what's mm-hmm. happening now. Yes. Um, another really cool thing, just a quick note, is uh, other than Brennan's fun note, <laughs> is uh, that he's written like a lot of cool books. One really cool one, it's called One Q Eighty Four, and it like kind of draws on themes from George Orwell's Nineteen Eighty Four. What's really cool about Har- Haruki Murakami is that a lot of his books have a lot of like Western themes and Western influences, but they also take place in Japan and he writes them in Japanese. So it has like this interesting flow of prose, which mm. I also had mentioned before, um, but have those interesting Western influences on them, um, which like this 1Q84 really um, is a lot of that Western influence um, because you know, Haruki Murakami studied a lot of literature and yeah, but yeah, there are a lot of cool, 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 cool books that I got to read more of because yeah, I haven't I, read like, in a long time. There's at least like, a, I think you got at least two or three more. True. Yeah. Well, I haven't read all the ones that I own either. No. Well, that's, that's, then that's on top of that. Yeah. I kind of just collected them. Well, it's like it's I like have like eight or nine it's, like, it's like it's like anybody who was ever 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 interested in journal writing or journals in general. Mm-hmm. It's like step one is buy journals. Mm-hmm. Step two, don't write in the journals. Mm-hmm. Let them sit, collect some dust. Yeah. Step three, sneeze because you got dusty books everywhere. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. No, there's there's nothing more to my joke. It's just, you know, you're never allowed to uh, critique my... That was a funny joke, Brennan. <laughs> People at home are choking. They're laughing so hard. Then you've killed. No, I haven't. You've killed. No, they're not you've actually choking. You've killed on choking. live air. They're not actually choking. This is dinner time for some people. <laughs> you've killed. <They're> <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. Haruki Murakami is absolutely dope. Um, yeah. You know, we should probably hurry up because we are running out of time, running out of time today. Yeah. I'm going to have no time to talk about my second thing. Second thing, second thing, second thing. I'm sorry if I've killed again. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, my second thing is apple cider. And before anybody gets excited more than they want to, 
Alcoholic apple cider only. I don't, I don't, I don't, like regular apple cider is probably fine, but I don't. What about warm apple cider? That, that's what I would imagine regular apple cider is. Mm, so good. With cinnamon? Well, mm. Yeah, like apple cider as like a non-alcoholic drink is pretty good. But I'm talking about apple wine, um, which is the general classification for alcoholic apple cider, um, which, if anybody is interested... Um, wine listed in um, the LCBOs have the sugar listed because mm-hmm. that's what you do for wine. Apple cider is the only other drink that does that too because it's an apple wine. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel better about buying it because, I mean, well, I, I wouldn't say I have a problem with Summer's Bee, but geez Louise, it is sweet. And then seeing that it's almost 100 grams of sugar. But we're not here to shame people. I'm going to shame no. Summersby. Well, you shouldn't. I'm not shaming the people mean. that like it. Well, okay. That's good. That's, that's not what it's about. The, the, I will eat all the sugar I want. I just, I just personally limit drinking sugar. And I'm sure it's not mm-hmm. too far off. Mm-hmm. But... It makes me feel better not to drink sugar more than I eat it. I will, I will eat all the cookies all day. Uh-huh. I will, I will take all the centers of Oreos and turn them into a mass. We all know just you will do that. Mow it. Just, um, um. Okay, Brennan, stop. Anyway, I was watching this video what? of an oct- <laughs> 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 Okay, this. This is relevant. Okay. I was watching a video of an octopus that could travel on land yeah. and get from pool to pool. Very interesting because that's okay. how it hunts for crabs. Because when the low tide is in and the p- ponds are all separated. The crabs can't go anywhere. Well, they can, but... Oh, like, I thought like I thought the octopus would be like, hey, I can survive but, a little bit on water. Let me go to the small pools that are now yeah, secluded. But they don't... Yeah, but the crabs, yeah, they don't know. They think they're safe. Yeah. And the octopus is fast and silent on land and on but not entirely silent because it makes a sound quite similar to that weird sound you were just making that was the whole point of the story i see it was a very long uncomfortable time of just like hearing like (laughs) (laughs) anyway as this octopus traveled anyways i really like apple cider um and i think it just stems from the fact that i really just like apple juice there was a point in time um i remember distinctly I had access to whatever car we had at home at the time. I think I was in high school. And I was just like, you know what? I really want apple juice. So I went to, I think, No Frills. And I got like a liter of apple juice because it was like a dollar. And there's a comedian that makes a whole joke. I think it was Hannibal Perez. He makes a whole joke about getting all this apple juice. And, you know, someone in line um, is like staring at him and like shaking his head. And his whole joke is like, man, you're just an apple cider hater. You're just, you're just hating the fact that I have all this apple cider. You can get some too. And then the continuation of the joke is like, I then realized that he was shaking his head because I was with my partner and she was a white woman and he didn't like the interracial couple. But then he was like, I was so drawn up in this euphoria of apple cider. Racism did not exist in the world for me. I was just so excited about, sorry, not cider, apple juice. I was so excited about apple juice. Racism just didn't exist. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyways, I go to the store. I buy a liter of apple juice. I drink the whole thing in one shot. um, And I regret it immediately because it's just too much apple juice. Um, But like, I regret it to the extent, like, I know it made me feel sick. 
every once in a while, it's like, uh, it's only like a dollar twenty. Mm-hmm. I can do that again. I I would risk it. Anyways, really like apples. I really like apple juice. Really like apple pie. And apple cider makes me drunk. <laughs> and it's just like I like I like this flavor. I like that and that. And, and put it together, and you got. There we go. And it's just a good time. And there's so many different types of apple cider. And it's kind of like craft beer. Every every time I turn around, there's a new apple cider. And then I look at the sugar, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to try that. Because regardless of how good it tastes, I know it's going to be sweeter than I want it to be. Yeah. And I've started to kind of like curb that- my like my preference for sweetness. Which, is, which I feel, again, I feel better about that. I think the sweetest apple ciders that I generally go for are about like 40 to 50. I think it's like grams per liter. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're not having a liter of apple cider in one drink. Are you sure? In, in multiple drinks. I don't know. Can you can you find me a liter of apple cider? Sure. Okay. Do that. <laughs> you can get the, the bottles of apple wine. Yeah but, yeah, but apple wine is very specific because apple wine, I'm pretty sure, has a much less... Um, Sugar, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so apple cider is, is very hard to pinpoint as to where it came from. It's just like, hey, yeah, we... Uh, uh, no one, no one really knows. It's it's very popular in England and Europe, but like there are native, um, like the the native distribution, um, is so widespread. Nobody knows, mm. and I don't know. I don't think I mean like indigenous. I mean like nobody knows where it kind of started because it was just there's you can get apples everywhere, and people were making mm-hmm. alcohol since like the dawn of time because you just like left something out and it started growing <laughs> stuff, and then you know sweet turned into alcohol, and you're like, hmm, this doesn't taste the worst, and then you start feeling dizzy, and it's like, yeah. well, this is fun until I fall, but let me just have and less. Then it's not as fun. Well, yeah, and then it's just like trial and error. I know what dr- being drunk is, and I don't want to be too drunk, so let's keep doing that. Um, I have mm-hmm. no idea where I'm going with this, but I really like apple cider. Um, and yeah, um, for anybody who cares, No Boats on Sunday is probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit expensive. It's like five bucks a bottle and you get it's like... It's a bigger bottle. It's half a liter. A regular can is like 400 milliliters. Mm-hmm. 100 milliliters more for like $2 more. That doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. But No Boats on Sunday is really good. It's also like 43 grams of sugar. Um, there's one called Lost Craft. It's in like a golden can. I think it comes from Niagara. Um, that one's closer to like 30 and it's also, it's very similar in taste. Uh, and then like, there's all sorts of apple ciders. Um, it's whatever. I think there's a new apple cider that came out. I can't remember what it's called, but it has like, it has like five grams or less. Mm. And I hated it. It it, it didn't. too whiny for you, right? Well, yeah, it was like, it was so dry in that flavor profile of like, yeah, dry versus sweet, uh, in terms of a wine. It was just like this. I've gotten better with wines and I like I can appreciate a good wine mm-hmm. relative to like the wines that we've had and I just it just I hated this apple cider. And we're not talking about things that I hate. We're talking about things that we like and Lost Craft and Apple Cider and Apple <laughs> Juice and Apple Pie and Apple Crumble. I really like apples. Mm-hmm. What's your second thing? Thank you for asking. I have circled. You weren't ready. No, I was. Okay. I had one thing, and then I changed it to another thing partway through your first thing. And then I also changed it again. Did you change it back? No. Okay. To a completely new thing. that I don't know why I thought about it, but I just really wanted to talk about it. And here we are. And then I found really interesting facts just right now. Cool. Um, so my thing 
the final thing of the season is the slow loris. Oh, why I don't remember what that is. The Tell slow me. Slow loris is my favorite animal, probably, or at least one of them. I like You're a lot of animals. You're saying Maggie's not your favorite animal. Okay, Brennan, stop. Uh, <laughs> you know how like when people ask you, oh, it's your favorite animal? It's a weird question, but slow loris is probably right up there. They are a type of primate. Um, they are found in Southeast Asia and bordering areas. And if you don't know what they look like, please look up a picture of them. They are the cutest thing. Show me. Oh, is that, ever... that, is that that one thing that has like big old eyes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so like stupid is is very endearing. I mean it in a very endearing way. Look at him, Brendan. <laughs> uh, Why is he called the slow loris? Tell me more. Because they're slow. No, you don't. Go, uh, it is actually they're tiny and slow. They're um, I actually don't entirely know why they're called slow lorises that's a great thing to look up i will tell you some other interesting facts about it the one really interesting fact is that slow lorises actually have venom they what? they have is it a marsupial venom. like is it a mammal it's a primate no what and they have venom what do they do with it <laughs> um they can bite people and actually their really cute face has certain markings that actually ward off predators. And so their cute face actually helps them survive in the wild. Um, What's going it's on? It's called a posomatic. Is that what it's called? Let me see. I think you're, no, you're absolutely, yeah, a po- I, I don't, you're, you're right. You're a biology person. I've, I've seen that Posomatic coloration, um, and it applies to everything from skunks and badgers to poison dart frogs and ladybugs. Well, that's actually fair because if you actually look at a slow loris, like, the coloring, like its eyes are big and droopy, and its mouth, like its face is all dopey. But yeah. like the the coloring on its face, like it where the draws... eyes are bigger and stuff, and the nose. Yeah, and it really draws your attention to their. Um... It draws your attention to their mouth, which is where the poison is, obviously. Yeah. Um, and. So yeah, this is an article on um, the National Geographic called How This Animal's Adorable Face Keeps It Safe. Um, and um, yeah, there's another thing I wanted to read about it, but this, yeah. Um, after eight years from over 200 live capture and releases to show that um, Javan slow lorises face masks meet the standards of a posmatic coloration, the markings draw attention to the animal's most dangerous bis, their mouth, and would be... Highly noticeable across a variety of visual systems, including those belonging to known loris predators such as eagle hawks, pythons, monitor lizards, and orangutans. Orangutans. Yeah, primates are primates are meat eaters. They are omnivores. That's they will kill wild. each other just for some food. Well, each other is relative. I don't know how cannibalistic they are. Um, I feel like some primates are, but like they they have no problems brawling with other with other dudes. Yeah, that's wild. Um, another just side note: gorillas are herbivores. They're the str- like. I have a whole thing about gorillas. Yeah. Please finish your. I thing. love gorillas so much. I love them. No, I think they're great. But um, finish your thing because my thing so, is funny. Um, a quote from Anna Nakaris, who's one of the people in the study. She said, "The young ones, they really try and kill you. They're incredibly strong. They pull." <laughs> <laughs> they pull- <laughs> they pool saliva in their mouth, what which the has flip? the venom in it. And they just go to bite you? I guess. 
But the really wild thing and the sad thing is that I don't know if you look up slow lorises on YouTube, you'll see these videos of them eating rice, which are so adorable and cute um, and is really what got me to love them. Mm. But it's also really upsetting because these videos have increased people um wanting them as pets uh, and so it's created this like pet trade of slow lorises of course it has because there's people who have videos of slow lorises being tickled of them eating rice balls and they're really adorable but it's also helping to lead to their extinction which God, is horrible sucks. and also to be adopted they have to have their sharp teeth taken out of course and, they do Ugh. yeah it's horrible it's like don't get a cat if you if you if you need to declaw it don't get a cat yeah, I, I I need to stop. I will get. I will. I will fight everybody on air. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, it's really sad. Those two articles are like the first thing that comes up. How they use their cute face to stop predators. Also, how they're becoming extinct because people want them as pets. Well, it's like I don't know if if I ever had the opportunity to have a slow loris like sustainably as a pet. Mm-hmm. If I died because of it, it'd be like, yeah, that's it. This guy yeah. got me. They make very unsustainable pets. There's another article about that. I would imagine so. Yeah. Like, what do they eat? They eat mostly, like, vegetables like, Are they herbivores? Stuff. Okay. I th- I'd... That's a great point. I wish I figured this out earlier. No, it's fine. Oh, they're omnivores, so they oh, eat they're, they're insects just... and stuff. Oh, that's fine. Oh. Yeah. Do you have more to say? Oh, small birds and reptiles. Yeah, I'm telling you, primates are buck wild. They will do whatever they want. Huh. They eat 75, 71% fruit. That's, yeah. 29% insects and other prey. Hmm. Anyways, I have a, my joke that I wanted to say about gorillas. It's one of the funniest things to like conceptualize. I saw it, I can't remember, I saw it online or something. Think about how strong a gorilla is. Uh huh. It could like, very strong. Yeah, it could just rip you in half if it wanted to and then like just toss you aside and be like, yeah, what's up? Yeah. Yeah, I did it. Without without having to without the concept of you know gorillas having bad posture and they're not made for it, uh-huh. we've never seen a gorilla at full power. Gorillas don't work out. Imagine. No, no, no. Like I don't want to think about a human. Think about a human. Think about like I don't know Nick, Nick Koo, or or even my brother. They're strong dudes. They're they're like they're dense. You could you you could punch them and you you'll hurt your hand before you hurt them. Think uh-huh. about a gorilla. If a gorilla started just lifting weights, <laughs> if I, I like that's that's so we have to go all. I know. But... Think about it. I it, it it it's the funniest thing in the entire world. <laughs> Melissa just keeps showing me pictures of slow lorises, and I there's forgot. one where its tongue is just sticking out. Please do yourself a favor, like. There's nothing harmful about looking at a picture of a slow loris, you know? It'll brighten your day. It will. They're just so wild. They're so wild. And then do me a favor and just think about how strong a gorilla could actually be. <laughs> think about, given like... Given the chance. Given, given, the, the, given opportunity. the opportunity. If if it's if you look at the back of a gorilla, you, you, you're, you already are hurting because of how muscly this thing is. Right. If it put in the effort, are you kidding me? I know. Are you? Know. The King Kong is real. <laughs> my Valentino. Okay. We need to stop. Anyways, we need um, to stop this talk. So we are. This is actually our last uh, episode for the year. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, and if you haven't listened, well, I don't need to talk to you.
That's fine. Think about think about the stuff that you like because you're not listening, but that's okay because there are lots of things to like. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to Matt, as always, for our music. Mm-hmm. Um, last time we ended off with uh oh. Yeah, Yano Casino. Casino. Thank you. Um, we're going to end off with another uh, last Universal Common Ancestor song. Instead of being Spiral Arms, we're going to their second EP uh, titled Two mm-hmm. uh, with the song titled Two. Um, have a good Merry Holiday, uh, New Year. Uh, I love Just you. Just press play on it. For I love them. you. Bye.